I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Okay. You went out last night. I did. To, to Madonna Summer. Which was a theme night at a bar called Ten and a Half. Mm-hmm. Hosted by Faultline. Faultline. Mm-hmm. Which was a gay bar in L.A., like East Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Off of like Melrose in Vermont, that sadly had to shut down or close its doors during COVID. Mm-hmm. They say they're not closed down, but uh, they don't have a physical structure, so they've been hosting parties like at other venues. But how was it? Uh, it was good. It was uh, a smaller room. It, it feels like not all of the venue is being utilized uh, potentially, and they don't oh. have. Top shelf liquor, but there were certainly top shelf prices. Oh, so it was all rail? Uh, at least the gin. <laughs> oh, interesting. Although, is trash? Is Kramer's? Is whatever. The only I, Kramer I know is racist, but uh, no, I'm that. just kidding. <laughs> I don't know that man. <laughs> Michael um, Richards, well, you know, ruined his reputation. It um, did. Yeah, I don't. It was it was fine. I, you know, they played the whole cut of MacArthur Park, which is a long one. I, you know, as much as I like dancing to Donna Summer, I'm like, we could we could cut that one shorter. That's probably my favorite Donna Summer song, but it is. I mean, the full track is what like it, it's long. Yeah, it's like 17 <laughs> minutes. No, no, it's up there, but it's nothing compared to Hot Stuff or I Feel Love to me. Sure. Um, and they had performers that I don't know were necessary. Like drag performers? You could call them... I don't know if I'd really call that drag. Somebody slapped on a Halloween wig and... There were a couple that took it more seriously. Somebody was doing Marie Antoinette <clears throat> Vogue-ish. Uh, but there were a couple of performers that are like, you bought that wig at a Halloween surplus Party store. Party city. And did nothing to yourself and are looking like a fool. But it was fine. Oh, well, moving on to Drag Race UK Series 3, Episode 3. Uh, this week, the main challenge was they had to construct two outfits that were, like, camping-themed out of, like, materials that were provided to them. I thought that was a really boring challenge. The mini challenge was more interesting. The Each queen had to sort of, like, put on, like, like rough trade drag, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they were supposed to look like a straight dude mm-hmm. who's on an app called Finder and they each had to, you know, present a character like looking for love. I thought that was actually really funny. It was good. Especially, yeah, for sometimes those mini challenges are... <clears throat> the top two queens were Scarlet Harlot and Crystal Versace. Um, Scarlet Harlot won. The bottom two were Vanity Milan and Veronica Green. Um, Vanity Milan's drag to me is just kind of... It's definitely it's definitely not at the level of the other girls. Yeah, he's uh, consistently been a disappointment. And uh, his costume looked raggedy as hell to me. And then Veronica Green, her narrative this episode was that because she is a seamstress, apparently, she helped everyone else. A gossipy ass seamstress. A gossipy ass seamstress. Like sit your ass down and do your project. Right. So she spent all of her time helping everyone else and didn't have time to construct her garment completely. Although I don't know if she had more time, she would have done a good job because the idea was cockadoo. Yeah. The biggest, the worst part about it was she took like a 
like an umbrella because it was all like camping material. It looked like she deconstructed an umbrella and tried to make wings out of them or it. And that shit looks so cheap. Uh, I didn't understand. I don't know why they were trying so hard to be kind to Vanity. Uh, because she cut up some bungee cords and glued some rope to a corset. And RuPaul said, nice rope work. You mean glue. She did gluing, girl. Like I don't know. But uh, her and Veronica Green lip sync. Uh, and Veronica Green gets sent home. What did I say that lip sync was like watching uh, Lola Falana versus Sissy Spacek? <laughs> it was... Lola Falana. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was something. Uh, but I was surprised initially to see Veronica Green home, but see Veronica Green go home. But I think she's had a long shelf life on Drag Race because she was on season two mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hit. So they took a nine month break and then they and then she doesn't get to come back because she tested positive for COVID. So her storyline has gone on for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So she's been sort of in the Drag Race universe active for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think she really did get a lot of exposure. I just don't care for her drag. I think she... She can paint herself. She's a, she's an odd bird, which I which I like, but then there's nothing behind it. She's yeah. just kind of odd and... Unco- Actually, she makes me kind of uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, I, well, you know, and that's the problem sometimes with more exposure is you reveal the emptiness behind the facade. Uh, and then, did you mention uh, Victoria Scone? Oh, no, I didn't. So Victoria Scone, we found out, hurt her knee last episode. And then we're told last episode that she has to go see a doctor. And based on that evaluation, we'll find out how she proceeds. And as predicted. And as predicted, the doctor says she can't proceed. So she's not... uh, Well, yeah, a knee injury, you need time to... And then RuPaul just says, like, I have a feeling, well, this is not the last we've seen of her. Which every time Ru says that, the person comes back. So I'm sure we'll see her again. I thought she was very talented. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, I don't believe she's 27. But anyway, moving on to movies we watched. We can start with Tales from the Hood 3. Yeah, which I think I wanted to put on something. I want Because we watched VHS 94, which was just okay. And it left me hungry for another horror anthology film. So we put that on. Because I've seen the first two, obviously. I watched... Oh, I started it, but then I was working and my laptop was dying. So I had to go into a different room. Because my long charger I left at work. Oh. So I didn't have a long enough charger to sit in the living room. <laughs> what did you, but I did catch like half of it. Sounds so poor. Yeah. You, catch, you caught half of it. Oh, that's why you left the room. Yeah, you. that's what... It's sacrilege. You left during the Lynn Whitfield segment. I know, I know. But from what I saw, I did... Like, I would rewatch it myself just to uh, catch what I missed because I thought it was actually pretty interesting. I don't remember all of the segments, but I recall it's it's interesting. It most of the segments feature kind of black people being horrible to each other. Well, there's one where there's a super racist white guy. Yes, and then we find out that he's like, in a museum. He's in a museum, and that people in the future have become obviously very evolved. Well, not obviously cuz we're not evolving that much, but in this scenario, humans have evolved quite a bit, and they're able to sort of wit like they have these real life museum exhibits and mm-hmm. this white man was an example of like a really racist person. I thought that was actually a really clever idea. It was good. Uh that was the only one the rest of the segments are, are kind of 
within the community, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I did really like the Lynn Whitfield one, who I think looks great, uh, and I love seeing her. And then the segment after that is about a guy that's running around. They call him the punching. Oh, that's right. He's out here assaulting black people. Yeah. Well, old people, like anybody, really. Oh, oh and, but but then and his punishment is he gets cursed by because he beats down somebody's grandma, and that's right. The woman's granddaughter practices, you know, hoodoo or whatever, and curses him to walk a mile in the next victim's shoes, uh, and he can't take the shoes off. That's right. Oh, and then the other one is about this black real estate developer who's being pressured to get like one last family out of a complex so that like a corporate office can be built. So he's doing everything he can to get them out when he decides to like have someone uh, set the apartment on fire to get the people out, but they miscalculate this act of arson and the family inside the home burns to death mm -hmm. and now they're haunting him. I actually thought that was good. That was good, but and I probably had a lot more to say about that because out of all the things some of these white people do that have no, you know, karmic uh, punishment for, it's like he was he didn't want to kill them. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. I, I feel like this family should have pursued, you know, like his boss. But the reality is they only ever saw him, sure, and sure. he was the one harassing them. But yeah, it always it's kind of like Candyman. Like, why are you? Yeah, like you're attacking going after, other black people. Yeah, let's go after uh, the next level up, please. The real devil. No, um, I watched Madam X, which is that Madonna not, concert. Documentary. Not the Lana Turner film. No, and I, I don't know. We talked about it at length. I don't know that we need to do that now, but. Well, because I did not. And you didn't watch it. But I will say I am a very big Madonna fan. Mm -hmm. My fave is still Janet. But, I mean, I, Madonna's catalog is impressive. And I do enjoy her music. But as a personality, I find her grading. And as time goes on, like over the past 30 plus years that I've been listening to her, she's just become more and more like self-absorbed. And I think her music reflects that over the past like I would say like 15 years, mm -hmm. her music's just become kind of like, it's not my flavor. The doc, the concert documentary, I would describe it. It's more, it's just a concert really mm -hmm. is, uh, it heavily features her album, Madam X, which I did not like at all. Well, I didn't like it at all either, but it has one of my top five favorite Madonna songs on it now. Yeah, Which is, I, don't, I Don't Search, I Find. Yeah, that's that, a fantastic song. Yeah, that's in my top probably seven. But but it, it's, it's... But other than that, that album is... Mm -mm. Yeah, it's caca. So if you didn't care for that album, I don't think you would enjoy this concert. I think she looks interesting because she's done a lot to her face. Interesting. Uh, but my overall opinion of her nowadays is that... Okay, so... James Baldwin, she says in the movie concert, is like her biggest inspiration. And we get a lot of like copy of his writing within the concert. And one line that keeps getting repeated is artists are here to disturb the peace, which I find interesting because I think that describes Madonna very well. Like she's very good at getting attention mm -hmm. and being disruptive, but then she has nothing to say. Mm -hmm. And she herself said that back in like 1990. I believe it was like 1998, whenever Avita came out, mm -hmm. I think she did an interview and she said like, you know, I'm very good at getting people's attention, but then I started feeling self-conscious that I had nothing to say. Well, yeah. Once, and, once all those walls are broken down about sexuality and censorship. 
Right. So I think that's the issue. Like, I agree with her. Like, yeah, you you are very good at getting attention, but you have nothing to say. And I think because what she was doing in the late 80s and early 90s was sort of revolutionary, mm-hmm. now just feels kind of unnecessary. And then when you couple it with a woman, like a 60-year-old woman, it just feels... Well, that has always and forever remained at the center of her own story. And she's the most... She's you know, narcissistic, really. Yes. So I think that's the problem. She's never really kind of elevated beyond herself because for all her evolutions and revolutions, you know, I, I think at the next stage, it's what's next? She's arguably the most successful pop artist of all time. And I don't think, I mean, I can't imagine anyone in my lifetime getting to that level of influence. Right, but for somebody that's so fascinated with the philosophical and existential, I mean, you know, I I didn't see her first film, Filth and Wisdom, but kind of even based on the references she was riffing off of uh, around the time she was doing press for that, it's like clearly she's interested in these concepts, but as applied to herself, it's like she can't get out of her own image. And I think that's what's become kind of boring about her. Yeah, I think a lot of... I also think is amazing. she's an amazing amazing visual artist, uh, puts on fantastic shows. Is she a strong vocalist? Absolutely not. Is she the best dancer? No. But I think with what she has, she's done a lot with it. I just think she probably likens herself too much to artists who have... Um, how do I say this? Because it's not greater impact. I mean, who's had greater impact than her? But I think she's confusing her impact with like talent Mm -hmm. like just because you're super it's like how people feel about britney spears like britney spears is not (laughs) this immense talent she's very popular and has had a lot of success but that doesn't make her like an artist but we it's like mistaking box office profit for the quality of a film right and i think madonna buys into this idea that she is like this you know genius artist so it's kind of uncomfortable to watch especially because nowadays a lot of her music involves her talking and a lot of her concerts involve her talking. And I think that's where she fares the worst when she's not just dancing and singing. Like she shouldn't be talking. <laughs> but anyway, Madam X, that was that. I, th- I think, again, also when we were talking earlier, it's she's at a level where no one's challenging her to say like, oh, maybe this isn't the best or maybe this is boring. Or <laughs> Yes, I think that. I also think she's not challenged. Yes. And I, I feel like her work doesn't feel inspired. Yeah. Because she has all the money and all the resources. I feel like she just does shit like, oh, I was in Portugal, so I'm inspired by this type of music, so let me make an album about it, and I'm going to call myself Madame X. Or... And that's great you're inspired by James Baldwin, but even that quote that you're uh, riffing off of, of his, you know, the struggle of uh, James Baldwin is not the struggle of Madonna. So art, uh, artists, what is it again? Artists, artists are here to disturb the peace. Sure, but again, what going back but, to what but, she said, but, she has nothing to say. But and, what James Baldwin was talking about are artists who didn't have a voice, so they had to break through barriers. Right. And Madonna doesn't have to do that. No. Like, Madonna can do anything she wants and people will listen. So I just want her to do better things <laughs> that are more in line with like, and I know people should be allowed to change, but at the end of the day, entertainers are products and she has an enormous product line, meaning her discography, that is like amazing pop songs. And then for the last 15 years, she's done all this stuff that's just like, I don't know. I, I just wish she would 
like allow her she's she's not allowing her work to age with her right it just feels very juvenile well, yeah, I mean, again. calling herself a girl and talking, you know, singing songs that sound like you're a 23 year old and well, and still, uh, I think still really kind of, I guess, interested in exploring her religious ideals. <laughs> but I really appreciate. I think at her core, her values and what she talks about are admirable. In the special, she brings out. Um, and now I'm going to forget the name, but it's like this women's singing group from some region in Africa. What do they, they call them? The Batuker? Something, yeah. Batukadiras or something? Something like that. But I thought that was the best part of the show, partially because the beats and the rhythms the, these women were singing to, I, I really liked. And also these women could actually sing. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was very enjoyable. Madonna brings some of her children on stage, the black ones. And uh, lets them say a couple things. And I do feel like she is a person with like a good heart. It just, oh, one scene that really bothered me is she brings out a Polaroid camera and takes a picture of her crotch. Oh, yeah. And then she says, um, I'll sell this picture to the highest bidder. And it's a long bit. It's like a five minute bit. And she keeps going on about the person with the most money. And the, the, the film is shot like from several dates. So you can tell that it's all clipped together. And it's not until the bit's almost done that she says, like, this money is going to go to charity. And I just thought, like, I don't know. It it just didn't work for me. I would love to know what other people think about that portion of the show. It felt, it just felt inappropriate. Because then at the end, when she collects all this money, we see her taking it. She goes, oh, the children of Malawi, thank you. And I kind of, I don't want to spend too much time on this. But, like, I, I liken, like, if I compare her to someone like Beyonce. Because that's arguably someone at a level of Madonna. And I think about, like, Beyonce has done a really good... And I'm not a Beyonce stan. I actually don't really like most of her music. But I think she's done a really good job of separating Beyonce Knowles, the person, mm -hmm. from the entertainer. So Beyonce just presents her art and does her performances. And we don't hear a lot from her other than that. And I think that's really allowed her to keep a private life. But also when she does lend her voice to something that means something to her, I think it has more impact. Because she separates herself from it. It's not about Beyonce incorporating this organization to her new song or right. her next performance. It's just like, oh, you see Beyonce wearing a sensible skirt set, donating a million dollars here or, you know, lending her face to this college thing. Or And I just wish Madonna would like, she's at a level where she's already made it. Like, that's why I said she's, she's the biggest pop artist ever. Mm -hmm. No one will ever top her probably. And it's like, Okay, you don't have to keep trying to do this. If, if you feel this strongly about these things you're doing, then why not present that and create art that supports that instead of like doing this kind of whack shit and then you want to, in every interlude, put up pictures of like Black Lives Matter and all that, which is important. And I like, I believe that she believes in that. Sure. It just feels like sometimes in poor taste because. Yeah. You know, doing the Like a Prayer video in the early 90s and having a black man play Jesus and what that man and the fury had stirred up, I think that had impact. Yeah. But I nowadays, it just feels like, girl, you don't need, like, I don't know. Well, things have changed. Things have changed. Yeah. And, uh, and if you uh, haven't adopted your language or evolved your language to kind of deal with those things, maybe, 
I don't know. <laughs> Talk well, about something else. We can move on. There's a movie called The Offense. Oh yeah, I watched a Sydney Lumet film from 1973 with Sean Connery. Uh, basically, a, a Scotland Yard detective who captures a uh, pedophile, if you will, that's raping and I think killing some girls and beats him so hard in confession that this man dies and you know this this case that breaks him and it feels like a precursor to uh serpico for Sidney lumet for me uh but yeah just a kind of a a lesser known Sidney Lu- Sidney lumet film i hadn't seen and had on the other night uh i think its most interesting moments are when sean connery goes home to his wife who they have a very dysfunctional relationship <laughs> oh cat people mm. i rewatched paul schrader's cat people you were in the room when i had that on i think the other Evening. I don't recall. Oh, with Malcolm McDowell and Nastasia Kinski. Speaking of cats. Yeah, the cat walked in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I haven't watched it probably in about a decade, and there was something that I was writing that I wanted to um, check out the vibe for that film again. Uh, and, of course, I'm a big Paul Schrader fan. But, yeah, it to me, that film doesn't really work I'm also probably a bigger fan of the original 1940s film from uh, Jacques Tourneur of the Val Luton produced Cheapies. Uh, but there's some, certainly some interesting things, in, including Malcolm McDowell as the new character, the brother. It's always nice to see Ruby Dee, uh, who I'd forgotten her name is um, spelled female but pronounced Famali. Oh. <laughs> the Getaway? The Getaway. So I've read a couple uh, noir books this week I wanted to catch up on. One of them was Jim Thompson's The Getaway. Uh, the other one was Cornell Woolrich's The Bride Wore Black. And I've seen Francois Truffaut's Bride Wore Black before. But I've never seen either version of The Getaway. Um, I'm hoping you'll want to watch the remake because it stars your buddy Alec Baldwin and his wife Kim Basinger. Oh. And, and Jennifer Tilly from 1994. What is it about? Uh, bank robbery, gone awry. Short hmm. and short. Uh, but the original, of course, is a Sam Peckinpah film starring then-husband and wife Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. And, you know, Ally McGraw from Love Story, which I've never seen, she was in, she's retired, but and I think she only has 15 credits to her name, and I've never seen Ally McGraw in a film. Uh, so I, watching The Getaway made me feel like somebody should have cast her and Catherine Ross as sisters and something. Uh... And I was also reading, she did another Peckinpah film called Convoy with Chris Christopherson where she showed up on set so, like, boozed up and coked out of her mind she couldn't act. Oh. <laughs> That's what this, she decided to do to get sober. Anyway, The Getaway is interesting. I was very curious to see if Peckinpah tackled Thompson's finale, which is these people get away um, after going through some very strenuous activities and make it to this mysterious island of El Rey, which is an island owned by a criminal, uh, but he makes them all use whatever money they have to pay exorbitant prices to live there, and they all end up kind of killing each other. And their only other option is this nearby town where there's cannibalistic rituals going on. It's a very bizarre ending to this otherwise excellent film this not noir novel uh, and of course Jim Thompson or uh, Sam Peckinpah didn't do that and I'm going to guess Roger Donaldson didn't either for the Alec Baldwin one but I'm very curious to see it oh and in the Jennifer Tilly part is Sally Struthers in the original um, you remember Sally Struthers right she, 
Oh, you know who I'm thinking of? Uh, who's that? Sally Kirkland. Oh, not Kirkland. No, Sally, Sally Struthers. I think. Uh, yeah, she's the one who had the. Um, the commercial, like the, the, like the commercials a, for Save the Children. That's but, right. But in the seventies, she was actually had kind of a, a decent career. She was an All in the Family. Oh um, yes, that's right. She's Archie's daughter. And she, but she, um, God, she reminded me. You know who she reminded me of in The Getaway? Uh, young Jackie Weaver, almost. Well, she looks like her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, that that was that. Okay, you were asked to do um, like an intro for a movie. Called Max and the Junkman. Yeah, uh, so Wes Anderson for his new movie, The French Dispatch, which I saw at Cannes, and I think comes out next week or the week after. Uh, he put together a, a series of his favorite French films, I guess, called The French Connection, that it's screening in New York. Uh, and I was asked if I would introduce Claude Sauté's Max and the Junkman. And I'm guessing because I covered a Claude Sauté retrospective back in 2015. So you were asked to make an 8 to 10 minute video that will be played before this movie at this screening. Yeah, so if anybody's in New York and uh, October 19th, if you see Max and the Junkman, you will see a <laughs> You will see an 8 and a half minute video of Nick by himself talking about a number of things. <laughs> I did alright, I think. Yeah. But anyway, Max and the Junkman, quickly. Oh, I had that on the other night. Michelle Piccoli and, uh, you know, uh, Romy Schneider, who I love. Uh, it, 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 it's a film that I liken to Ace in the Hole or Nightcrawler where this ex-judge turned policeman orchestrates, uh, he, he manipulates this band of criminals into uh, resorting to a, a bank robbery so he can, only so he can catch them red-handed and then make uh, secure his uh, reputation as a police officer. You know, very cruel and manipulative and he ends up falling in love with the German prostitute played by Rami Schneider along the way uh, who, you know, is just fucking beautiful to look at but yeah i like the vibe it goes it's it goes against kind of a easy classification uh, as i feel like i repeated several times in the thing i filmed yesterday but uh yeah just a lot of fun that film is and i do like claude saute but i think that it is also feels a lot more it feels a lot different compared to all his other films which are much about the fragility of human connections. But uh, if you haven't seen a Claude Saute film, highly recommend that. Uh, the Things of Life, his 1970 film. Uh, the last two films he did in the 1990s, A Heart in Winter and Nelly and Monsieur Arnaud, are also excellent. Okay, I think these are films that were released this week, South of Heaven. Yeah, I actually uh, reviewed for Ion Cinema. I actually have to turn that in still. Terrible. I hated it. Oh, my God. Uh, Jason Sudeikis and Evangeline Lilly. And I'm sorry to say this, but every time I see Evangeline Lilly show up in a cast list, I'm like, oh. That's Phil Collins' daughter. No, that's uh, Lilly Collins. Oh. <laughs> Evangeline Lilly. What would you know her from? Uh, don't, don't waste time explaining her. I'm just going to look her up. You keep going. Is Lilly Collins, is that the name of Phil Collins' daughter? Uh, from Emily know. in Paris or whatever. Uh, anyhow, uh... Now you're getting me confused. But every time I see Evangeline Lilly... Uh, she reminds me of Kate Beckinsale. Yes, she very much... She's in the Ant-Man and whatever with uh, Paul Rudd, for instance. Which I don't think you saw that. Uh, I Jason Sudeikis is released from prison after serving, I think, 
four years uh, for robbing a bank, which she only did to appease the father of his childhood sweetheart, played by Evangeline Lilly, and she has lung cancer, and the cancer is reflected in a, a pixie haircut that at one point was something Vidal Sassoon made into a, a, an iconic look. Is this based on a true story? No. Oh. Uh, but basically, he gets out and his probation officer is crooked and blackmails him into helping, and then... Uh, Things go awry, and it's not even worth describing. Mike Coulter, who played, uh, is it Iron Fist? Mm. We saw him, actually, when we were driving around. He is terrible. It's just corny and terrible and disappointing because it's directed, it's the English-language debut of an Israeli filmmaker named Aaron Kashalis, who, about a decade ago, was kind of a big deal uh, with his co-director, it seemed like they were kind of on the rise to become notable Israeli genre filmmakers because they had a film called Rabies and Big Bad Wolves, which Quentin Tarantino uh, was raving about. I remember back in 2013 or 14, uh, and then haven't done anything for a while. And they've both done English language films. The other one did Gunpowder Milkshake with Angela Bassett, which we didn't watch. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just horribly disappointed. There were many comments about us reviewing Lamb, which I don't think would happen. So you can talk about Lamb. Well, I've talked about it before. Oh, because okay. I saw it at Cannes. Well, you brought it up. So what do you want to say about it? Well, the, you know, I think it had a mixed reception at Cannes, which is why last week there was only one press screening in L.A. and it was during the middle of the day, uh, and I we didn't go. I'm but sure you had already seen it. I, I'm sure you'll see it eventually with Numi Rapace as a. a Woman uh, in Iceland, her and her husband one day find one of their uh, one of their sheep has given birth to like this half human baby, and then she can't give birth, so she takes it, she rears it as her own, kills the mother, uh, and then lot to a long story short, the thing that actually sired the creature comes knocking. <laughs> if you will. It just, it's very interesting. It's got some great special effects. It has some eerie moments, but uh, at the end of the day, I don't think it delves deeply enough into characterization or even the kind of local lore that it's uh, exploring. Okay, the next film is Mass. Mass, I really wish you had agreed to watch. Uh, I saw it at Sundance. It has a really great Martha Plimpton and Anne Dowd. It's about two sets of parents who are meeting... Uh, the years after, in the aftermath, uh, Anne Dowden, uh, Jason, I'm forgetting who plays her husband now, but basically the parents of a school shooter meet one of the parents of one of the victims, and they're just kind of having a conversation, uh, and it's very dark and depressing, directed by Frank. Like that Prince. sounds like another movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not revolutionary in that sense. It's just a really great showcase for Anne Dowden and Martha Plimpton. Okay, projects of interest. The end. Two big Tilda Swinton items this week. Uh, the end. Joshua Oppenheimer, who I'm, I think I met at Toronto, the year of the Look of Silence. But he's mostly known as a documentarian for the Act of Killing, Look of Silence. Uh, he's doing a, a musical starring Tilda Swinton, which is uh, about the last human family. Is what. It's being described oh. as. So I'm sure that will be very interesting. Next, The Killer. Uh, the other Tilda item, she's signed on to be in the next David Fincher film, which is based on a graphic novel with Michael Fassbender attached, uh, something about an assassin who grows a conscience. Oh. Lastly, Skunk. Uh, Flemish filmmaker, Cohen Mortier. I think it's his fourth film. 
He's probably still best known for X Drummer back in 2007. Uh, I did see his films after that, 22nd of May, which is about a uh, bombing in a mall, and I think a film called Angel, which I'm sure I watched. I can't quite remember what it's about now. Uh, but he has a new film called Skunk that he's filming, and uh, all I know is it's about a troubled teenager. All right. For the obituary section, we're choosing to honor the great Sigourney Weaver, who turned 70... Three last week? Two. 72 last week. Yeah, 1949, that's 72. Uh, yeah, so it's the birthday section this week. Yes. Usually, I think, we're doing a whole 30 now, but you, in years past, I'd make a cake and we wa- watch a Sigourney movie, but... Oh, yeah, we didn't watch a Sigourney we movie. We had too many things to do. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about her? She might be listening. Uh, no, she's not listening. Uh, no, I, you know what? In, in fact, I think I posted something on Instagram, a, a favorite scene of mine. From, you said no, like, <laughs> what? like, no, I know she's not listening. She, she, you don't know. I highly doubt it. Uh, you know, somebody, I forget the name of the podcast. I'm sure we brought it up. I made you listen to part of it where she talks about her growing up in New York, which mm-hmm. is really lovely, uh, to hear her speak on that. Uh, she also gave a recent interview about prayers for Bobby uh, asking the interview if he knows it's available on streaming, and she's like, "That's ridiculous. That should be on Prime." Oh. Um, anyhow, I sh- I uh, posted a favorite sequence of mine from the film The Assignment, which I'm not saying Walter Hill's The Assignment is a great film and may be wrongheaded in many ways, but Sigourney Weaver's performance in that er- is fucking fantastic, and it is self-aware camp which maybe, I, I guess is kitsch, uh, but somebody commented like, oh, she's bad in this. You are not going to come on any of my pages saying that Sigourney Weaver is bad in something. I will defend it. Uh, in general, I just think it's a real, just some life advice for people out there. If you know someone really likes something, don't badmouth it. Because well, they're going to have a sour taste about you in their mouth forever. It's not worth it. Right. Although I do it all the time with Britney Spears, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Can I just say something about Britney Spears really quickly? Oh, sure, yeah. I I am frustrated that everyone's talking about free Britney. Like, that lady has mental health issues, and we don't have access to her medical health records. So this idea that, like, there's a difference between her being in a conservatorship and her dad potentially taking advantage of her. Because if her dad's doing that, obviously he needs to be removed from her life. But that doesn't vo- uh, negate... This woman's serious issues, and I don't follow her like I'm not a stan, but just a casual observer of her social media tells me, as someone who spent many years and has a master's degree in psychology and spent many years working in a psychiatric ward, I'm not a professional, but that lady seems like she's not well. Was, like, that, was that comment, I think, was it, was, what, who posted that? Jack Fervor. Was that, was that real? That comment she made on her Instagram? About what? Just that long rambling thing, or was that something fake? Because I didn't bother to look. I, I I I I know what you're talking about. I don't know that it was real, but I just think just watching her videos and. But anyway, I don't think Britney Spears I, should be taking over Sigourney's birthday praise. So happy birthday to Sigourney but, Weaver. Um, as a side, oh, we also had an anniversary this week. Oh, our thirteenth anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that reminds me, Britney Spears is relevant there because for years I've made homemade cards for 
Almost every Oh, occasion. yes. Nick has always made me, like, for almost every holiday, a homemade greetings card. And there he repurposes or reimagines, like, a movie with his own title and then cre- creates his own plot synopsis, like a detailed plot synopsis. And usually it's a movie that's released around the same period. Right. And then it always includes, like, soundtrack titles, which <laughs> are always funny. And then it always includes uh, critics' reviews. And for years now, one of the critics for these... For all of these cards is Britney Spears. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but, but but reading that post, I was like, oh, so I've been right all along. But anyway, <laughs> my like, comments on Britney Spears are that people need to... That lady, if she's not well, needs needs help. So, yeah. it's just so reckless that people... Like, you, no one knows her personal life. Just because you download all her music or stream it or dress up like her, you don't know what this woman's going through. Mm-hmm. And if she needs help, she should be getting the help she needs. And it just seems so reckless to try to, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I've, I fucked up my segue because I was going to say that the assignment has, like, a transgender uh, sort of theme to it. And that segues into the film we watched this week. So I chose... Just the secret film. The secret film this week was the Netflix special, The Closer, which is Dave Chappelle's last, as he says, comedy special for Netflix. Mm -hmm. And the entire special really is about him being transphobic. Kind of, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know where to begin. We have... How much time do we have? 23 minutes? We have a little chunk of time. Okay. Uh... So I think before I go through my notes, at least, what was your overall take from the special? Well, I really like Dave Chappelle. I, I do as well. Uh, my overall take is I agree with a lot of the things he says and the way in which he says some things I, I don't agree with, it, which we'll probably get into. Uh, but, but that said, I think, I think his heart's in the right place. I don't think he's transphobic. I don't think he's homophobic. I don't think he's misogynist. I think he, as we all are, are people tied to our own particular perspective. And I think he's somebody that has enlightened himself uh, in many regards. And I think that at the end of the day, he's a comedian. And uh, I, I think that the furor with which he is taken to task is a waste of time because we have people rush limbaugh was able to live a long fat happy life and you have got people like ann coulter out here and all these other people that are out here saying all spewing all this hatred and bullshit that that is real hatred and bullshit and are just are allowed to keep doing it um I agree. I, I don't want to hear anything anti-Dave Chappelle until, like, Fox News is gone. So if we still have to contend with something like Fox well, News, you know what I mean? I have strong opinions about all that. Um, I agree with most of what you said. I, I do think Dave Chappelle, um, like, speaking about the special, The Closer, I laughed a lot. I was kind of moved several I was times. moved several moments, which we'll get into, and I agree with what you said about I don't think he's transphobic, homophobic, misogynist. Okay. The... The special starts with him saying, like, his his mission for this special is to get, like, the baby out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Which at first I was like, oh, I don't know. But then he has a point to it. Yeah. And his point is that, which I don't know that this is true, but apparently the baby, like, shot and killed a man in a Walmart in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, somehow him killing someone. So, 
I wanted to watch this because I was reading all the stuff on social media and in the blogs about how people want Dave Chappelle canceled. They want Netflix to remove the special because of some of the comments he made. And one of them was that, um, like his comments about trans people and to baby. And I agree with a very small portion of people's frustration, but basically what he said about DaBaby is this man killed another black man and no one cared. And he still, and somehow he remained the number one streaming artist up until he made comments about gay people. So, you know, Dave Chappelle says, so you can shoot a, a, a black man basically, uh, but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings mm-hmm. and kind of, the message I got from the special was like, it's about empathy and that he, he really, he, he supports all people. Like we're all the same. It's just that we need to take a closer look and and listen to like, which I really agree with. And I want to get into more about that. But one of the first jokes he talks about is how he had COVID. And he said, while well, he had, when he had COVID, he had a, a quarantine for 10 days and he was watching a lot of videos Specifically videos of like black people like beating up Asians, like unprovoked Mm -hmm. and how disturbing it was. And then he says, but then I started thinking that's kind of what's happening in my body with COVID. So like this black man is beating up COVID, Mm -hmm. which is like made from China. Yeah. So, you know, like obviously he even says I'm going all the way. Dave Chappelle is like, I mean, his brand of comedy is to really like push buttons. So that's what he's doing. I think the best line though for me was gay people are minority. Yeah. Gay people are, is it minorities minorities? until they need to be white? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that. So he, um, he kept referring to the LGBTQ community as the LBGTQ community, which was driving me crazy (laughs) because he said it like. Six times LBGTQ, which is not, he's not messing up the letters, but the common orientation of them. I don't know if that was deliberate, but it was very... Well, just think like uh, in the early 2000s, it was GLBT. Right, right. Um, So he starts off his, so the bulk of the special is about people thinking he's homophobic and mainly transphobic. And then he talks about, this is where I really want to get into it. One part is he says like, can a gay person be racist? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Yeah, of course. course. That's a huge problem in the gay community. And then he talks about the line you just brought up, gay people are minorities until they need to be white. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I relate to that very much because I've said before, I'm sure on this podcast and in videos we've made, like 98% of the direct overt racism I've experienced has been at the hands of gay white men. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is gay white men are happy to align themselves as a minority until they have to be uncomfortable. And then their whiteness kicks in. Yeah. I, and I, then they act like well, I <laughs> how think we would expect. Another good example from this, uh, that I think this relates to from this special is talking about uh, the slave that was freed by his so-called master that mm-hmm. started his own plantation basically and was the cruelest, was even crueler than his white master counterparts yeah a freed slave got a hold of a plot of land and started to farm it and became successful and then bought his own slaves and like you said was more cruel because but he's learning you know an example of learning from experience and and being invested in a system uh 
he was he saw how to be successful through this system he was a part of and all he knew was how to be successful so he mimicked that right but it doesn't make it so i think right and you know white gaze that that's a a function of white gaze doing that as well because it's it's important to mention he says that black gay people and and black trans people his understanding is they don't feel this hatred towards him that it's white gays and white Mm -hmm. trans people and i would say i think you know i don't want to speak for everyone but i think as a queer black person i do think that there is a certain level of empathy and understanding that we need to have with other minority groups like i think it's like an unspoken thing Mm -hmm. that yes we make fun of each other yes we talk shit but we're all in the same boat so it's just jokes like it's just jokes. Well, and you know, you get to a point where do you really how seriously do we have to take everything? Like there has to be some room for there has to be some release. Somewhere. Well, I want to talk about that. But he goes on to say he's jealous of gay people because like as black people, like hundreds of years of oppression and really having a difficult time having anyone care about anything relating back to how the baby killed a black man in a Walmart and he's not canceled for that. But then he says something about gay people and it's over for him. So he's like, yeah, I'm jealous of gay people because in a very short amount of time they've surpassed black people with like civil rights and (laughs) respect in this country. Um, Then he talks about feminism and saying that, you know, he never understood what feminism was until he looked up the definition. And the definition is a person of any gender who believes in equal rights for parity for gender, right? Mm -hmm. Gender parity. So he's like, so all this time I've been a a, a feminist. Little did I, you know, but before that, I just thought a feminist was like a frumpy dyke. (laughs) So, uh, you know, people don't like that he said that. And it's like, again, it's just jokes. I don't, and he does talk about how people aren't listening. Like everything he says is not about, cause he says like, if you listen to me from the beginning of my career, the only people I have a problem with are white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the jokes I make are really to highlight racism in this country. And I think that that's true. And I think it's important to note, I think the, the, he repeats uh, a rundown of things, comments he's made about the trans community and talking about how it was easier for Caitlyn Jenner to change her gender than Cassius Clay to change his name. You know, there, there's truth to that. There's truth to that. And there are, uh, there, what's going on behind the scenes that explains, you know, Cassius Clay. I don't think that's worth exploring. I agree. And I think him saying that is not to, you know, he also talks about how the rhetoric about him is that, you know, when, like, as a black man uh, degrading trans people that he's punching down. But I don't think him making that comment about Caitlyn Jenner is punching down at trans people. He's really trying to highlight the racism that Muhammad Ali experienced. Right. Right? Right. So, yeah, I, I just think that people, and you mentioned it earlier and we'll get into it, but, like, taking things so personally and being sensitive when really there's a bigger issue at hand. Right. Um, he He talks about how with the feminist sort of segment of his special about how he wanted to attend like the women's March and none of his friends wanted to go. And then he texted a black female comic. He knows saying like, Hey, like I'm going to the women's March. Do you want to go? And then his, this black female uh, comic 
told him like fuck no i hope those white women get tear gassed <laughs> and then he goes on this thing about how like traditionally the feminist movement has been very white centric mm-hmm. he talks about sojourner truth mm-hmm. famously wanting to be a part of it and them saying that they didn't want to sort of combine civil rights issues with women's issues and he talks about the me too movement and how it's so whack which i agree with that Mainly these white women, Hollywood white women, go, you know, last year attending all these award shows in solidarity wearing similar outfits or wearing like certain ribbons. And it's like, you can't really be down for the cause and still participate in the system that is creating this, right? right? Like you need, as he says, you need to get off the bus. Mm -hmm. Like Martin Luther King, if like, it would be like saying like, you know let's all ride on the in the back of the bus but wear the same color shirt yeah like no you need to get off the bus and walk and so i thought his comments about that made a lot of sense and then of course he makes a joke about it in the end about saying that what the the feminist movement needs is a male leader (laughs) which i thought was funny and again i think it's just a joke like yeah the message he's really trying to say is that you know we need to be more inclusive um then he talks about well and, and and i think subversively relates back to all these people want to be in an uproar about it but what else are you support like i'm curious you know it's so easy to just tweet your anger about something but what what else you're doing other things that are participating in the system which is why dave Chappelle shouldn't be even a, a talking point uh in your daily irritation because there's so many other things that need to be dismantled well here's where things get murky and here's where a lot of the hullabaloo uh, is focused on is he starts talking about J.K. Rowling and how she's a turf, which is a trans exclusionary radical feminist, mm-hmm. and this basically means like women who don't see trans women as part of like like as women, mm-hmm. and 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 then he sort of says like he understands because it's kind of like how black people seeing a white person doing blackface that there are women who see trans women as like you're doing an impression of me. Mm -hmm. And then he says what I think is the most problematic, the only part of the special that made me go like, oh, why did you say that? Yeah. He says gender is a fact. Yes. And I wish he would have changed his language to something like sex is a fact. Yeah, because gender is a social construct. Because gender is a construct. Yeah. Sex is a fact. You know, the, the, the genitalia you, you had at birth is a fact, but the reality is you're not including intersex people. You're not including because hermaphrodite. So what we're talking about, when you're talking about gender, it's really a language issue because you, know, you were just watching something with Jinx Monsoon and Trixie Mattel, and uh, Jinx now identifies as non-binary. non-binary. But I think the point that they made that really kind of sells how gender is, is a fucking social construct is we used to be obsessed with thinking about parts like what somebody's somebody's changing their genitalia but really it's just changing the languages and it's none of your business what's going on down there anyway but you're identifying how you want to identify it's not it, it, it's about language it's not about uh, a, a biological reality right and while i don't agree with his language gender is a fact i don't agree with that it's a construct we made that up yeah. Sex, your genitals are a fact. If, whether you have a penis or a vagina, whether yeah. you have testes or ovaries, the, those are facts, right? But what I think he was trying to explain is I can understand if I were a cis woman 
who has spent my entire life being made to understand that this is what a woman is and this is what gender is and you know you know i know a lot of people like to align having a menstrual cycle with being a woman although not all women have uh yeah that's probably some women you know fal- but, faulty uh rationalization right 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 yeah. but but what i'm saying is i can understand how some women feel like you're not going to tell me that if i'm a 45 year old if i'm a 42 year old cis woman and then you have this 42 year old person who decides they're going to transition from male to female and now you're saying like we're like you we're the same but we're not the same like we're not the same and i can understand that it's just like how he he dave Chappelle makes this joke about how caitlin jenner was voted woman of the year when she'd only been a woman for like a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's problematic for a number of reasons. One is for many trans people, they've always felt this way. They just weren't able to express it how they want to. So, I, you know, to say Caitlin was only a woman for a year is like, well, we don't know. Maybe she's always felt that way. But I can see how people think like, now wait a damn minute. I've spent my entire life as a cis woman being the victim of misogyny, not feeling safe around men, not feeling safe in certain environments. How, you know, people like to use the whole menstrual thing and having the pain of that. And, and then here's another person who just like, oh, so six months ago you had surgery and now you're saying we're the same. I can understand how someone might feel like, but wait a minute. It's not unlike how there are gay men, like, you know, some of these athletes, like the last two more prominent ones who came out. And it's like, but you had the luxury of masquerading as a straight male and you're both white and you have reaped all of the benefits and have not been afraid the way someone like me has. And then now all of a sudden you're like, Hey everyone, I'm a faggot. And it's like, everyone applauds you. And I, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a way. Yeah. And I'm not taking away from the fact that that's a gay man, but, but it's just like, but it doesn't seem fair. Like, so you get to like, get all the, you, well, like, like you get to participate I, in the parade I, and get all the benefits. But I think that the very strange thing about all this squabbling about it and it is, at the end of the day, the whole gender as construct is the fucking problem because we, the hierarchy established there with, in the hatred of, of women and femininity, which really relates to, goes hand in hand with homophobia and trans, like all of those things are interlocked in a complex way where if we could get rid of that system oh, completely of course <laughs> I, I agree with you but I, so it's I like, think mean, so then we're like crabs in a bucket like saying Caitlyn Jenner is woman of the year even is kind of you know like not every trans person that transitions is going to identify in a in a binary way either and also Caitlyn Jenner uh, visually uh, speaking you know has embraced all the vestiges of femininity. And that is not the case for every trans person either. So the message that it sends out without us being able to have that kind of dialogue is also a a detriment. So to call Dave Chappelle, his comments dangerous is like, well, at the same time, it opens up the ability every time he does it to, for a conversation to, to further the conversation. We only have five minutes left and I feel like I want to end on a positive note, but I also want to say this one thing that I always say, which is we are so quick to cancel people for speaking their truth. And I think that's so dangerous. Like I would rather know people's true feelings about 
issues than to force everyone to have sort of a standard public response to everything and then not so you just want people to package up their content in a way that makes you feel comfortable to support them to me is insane if dave Chappelle is really transphobic then don't support him and if enough people don't and if enough people can hear what he really thinks and they don't support him then he'll go away and if many people do support him then he'll stay and the reality is Everyone is allowed to feel how they feel about things. And we can't push people. We can't say Fox News should be wiped off the face of the earth because there are many people who buy into that shit. And just because I don't agree with it, it like, I feel like as liberals, as progressives, as Democrats, I think our biggest problem is that instead of addressing reality of shit, we want to wipe everything away. And what, hap- what we're going to end up with, if that is a reality, is some Orwellian fucking nightmare of double think. But we're running out of time. I just want to end on a, a better note because I think the part that probably made us both emotional was at the end of the special, mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle chooses to talk about a, woman, a trans woman named Daphne Dorman, mm-hmm. who was a comedian who he got to know many years ago. He gave her a chance to open for her right before his first Netflix special came out, right before all the trans shit exploded on him. And he talks about her in a very loving way. Mm-hmm. And then he tells a story about how she committed suicide six days after the special came out. And I think even if a person is not, I I feel like if you have feelings about Dave Chappelle, you should watch this special. And I think in the end, you may feel differently about him as a person. Um, But that's like, I just wanted to make sure we get that out. You know, it's okay to not agree with what everybody says and accept that they're, you know, meet them where, you know, it's, we're always talking about meeting people where they're, where they are at. And he even comments about, talking to Daphne's uh, daughter, but he's not ready to have that conversation yet. He's on a journey too. Like, he is. And then he, and just to bring it back to the opening about baby, he ends it by saying, taking a man's livelihood is like killing him. Please do not abort baby," <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Well, I don't agree with that. I do feel like what baby said, I thought was really ignorant. And same. It, and it makes me feel a way about him. Same. And would I want to support him actively? I mean, I'm not. I'm cool on him. I'm not checking for him. I don't think that man should never be allowed to create art again. I, he, I'm just not feeling his ass. Well, it, I think I remember commenting on that podcast, like when uh, the baby fury was happening. It's like, so you just want to cancel? It's, it's at the end of the day, you just want to cancel another black man than having being able to be the bigger person and extend an olive branch right. and have a fucking conversation. Right. Like we could put that energy, like you said, towards bigger evils. Yeah. Than baby's ignorant black ass. Like, like, he just said some ignorant shit, and I don't like it. And but somebody, hopefully, will get, will get him together on it that means something to They him, probably but, already did, and right. I'm sure he regrets it, but it's like, we're not going to get anywhere by forcing people, like, for, silencing people. Right. Let these people think and say what they want to think, and then we can learn from them, and we can understand where they come from, and hopefully enlighten them, maybe. Or not. I and, mean... You know, like, as gay people... I think a lot of us have grown up with significant trauma, but I don't want to be that that gay, that queer person that thinks that, oh, I've earned the right never to be offended or hurt again. Well, we can, I I feel like we're going to have to talk about this more some other time because we are out of time. Oh, but, but I had a quote, but please, yeah, I'm leaving time for your quote. Oh, uh, since Madonna's uh, favorite author, James Baldwin, uh, who's also featured in the end credits of the Chappelle special, um, a liberal, someone who thinks he knows more about your experiences than you do. Yes, there you go. (laughs) All right, toodaloo. Bye.